As a resident of Israel, Joel Rosenberg wants peace in the region. But more importantly, as a follower of Jesus, he wants everyone from every nation to discover peace with God through Christ. I love Israel. I want every Jew to hear the gospel. I want every Jew to make a decision to receive Jesus. But I can't stop there because the Bible says God loves uh, those on the other side just as much. And so my passion is to reach all of them and to strengthen the church in the epicenter in the Middle East. Jesus never promised his followers an easy path. In fact, he told his disciples that the world would hate them. He sent them out as sheep among wolves. Jesus' words came true in the life of the apostles, and they're still coming true today in the lives of his followers around the world. Join host Todd Nettleton as we hear their inspiring stories and learn how we can help right now on the Voice of the Martyrs Radio Network. Welcome again to the Voice of the Martyrs Radio. My name is Todd Nettleton, and we have a very special privilege this week on VOM Radio. Our guest is author and Middle East expert Joel Rosenberg. His brand new book, The Persian Gamble, has just been released, so it is available everywhere you buy books right now. Joel, welcome to the Voice of the Martyrs Radio. Todd, it's great to be with you. I really appreciate it. You've been welcomed in some pretty interesting places over the last 18 months. Uh, I'm a reader of your blog, and I get your email updates, and you've been in Saudi Arabia, you've been in Egypt, you've been in the Oval Office. How does a guy who writes novels end up in all these amazing places? Well, it, it feels like one of the novels. I, I you know, I, I'm not sure I have a, a good answer on that. I think God is opening some doors that don't make sense, humanly speaking. Each of these leaders, we, we've been to Saudi Arabia, Egypt, United Arab Emirates, Jordan, at the invitations of the top leader. It's not like we're meeting just anybody. We're meeting with the king of Jordan, with the president of Egypt, with the crown prince, the effective ruler of the United Arab Emirates, and the crown prince, the number two in the powerful position there in Saudi Arabia, the, the very controversial Mohammed bin Salman, MBS. And they're not just inviting us for a cup of coffee or tea and tea in the region, but they want to talk for hours. And they don't want to just meet with me. They want me to bring a delegation of American evangelical leaders. In three of those countries I just mentioned, we're the first delegation of evangelical leaders they've ever welcomed. What are their motives? Why do they want a bunch of American Christians? Well, there's a, there's a couple things that are going on. Uh, the, the number one reason is Iran. The Iranian threat, the Islamic revolution, the radical Islamist revolution that they are leading is fundamentally reordering everyone's thinking in the Middle East. And these Sunni Arab leaders are so concerned about the Shia Islamist threat from Iran that they are realizing several things. Number one, they can't just have a casual working relationship with Washington. They need America to be a strategic ally, and they realized you can't just have a relationship with a president or a vice president or a secretary of state. You need to have a relationship with the American people. So they want to build a relationship that's very, very different than they used to have. They feel like they have to be perceived, not just in Washington, but by the American people as deep strategic friends and allies. They're, they're not the bad guys, they're the good guys. Uh, they're also interested in religious liberty issues. They want to convince us as evangelicals that they are making 
important strides. And some of them are, and some are doing a better job than others. But the third reason is, is also fascinating, and that is they are actually steadily working towards building a better relationship with Israel, and they're actively considering making peace with Israel. They're actively considering maybe not waiting forever if the Palestinian leadership does not want to make peace with Israel, that they might not wait. So how do you build ties to Israel that are not exactly back channels? They're actually direct channels, but they're not government to government necessarily. And evangelicals have such a love for Israel historically that they've decided to reach out. Now me, I, don't, I can't exactly tell you, Todd, why they asked me to lead the delegations. Because as I've told people, you could throw a dart out the window and hit any one of American, America's 60 million evangelicals who isn't a dual U.S.-Israeli citizen with two sons in the Israeli army. Like, you have options. You don't have to add the Israeli equation. But the fact that they've done it and they wanted to do it, and they were public about it. They released photos. They released. We, we were on the front pages of all the newspapers, and it's because they're trying to do multiple things at once. And this is historic. Even if you don't take them at face value that they've made every change they should, or that you're, you're still your listeners are thinking, ah, I don't know. Okay, but there's an opening. Right. And at the minimum, my motive, I believe every person on the planet needs a friend who loves Jesus. So. Joel Rosenberg, born into a Jewish family, now a follower of Jesus, shaking hands with the crown prince of Saudi Arabia. Do you ever just kind of pinch yourself and say, how did I get here? I didn't just pinch myself. In the palace, I said to the crown prince, once the conversation was going well, and I sensed there was a real connection, we had a two-hour meeting with him. Mm -hmm. And uh, I said to him, you know, your royal highness, you're 33, I'm almost 52. I was born in 1967. I was born into a world where Gamal Abdel Nasser, the president of Egypt, was threatening to throw all of the Israeli Jewish people into the sea to annihilate our, our people in Israel. I'm a citizen of Israel, and I never imagined in my entire lifetime that I would set foot in Saudi Arabia, much less the capital Riyadh, much less be invited into the palace and to sit with the crown prince, the heir to the throne. Never, not once, didn't think of it. And I want to thank you, uh, Your Royal Highness, for inviting me. And he was very warm, very gracious. And look, I thought, this may be my last time. And I, you know, who would... So I said, you know, I noticed that you're reaching out to the Coptic Orthodox Pope of Egypt. And I'll be with Pope Tuadros in a few days. May I bring him your greetings? Yes, yes, he said. We're trying to reach out to the Copts. Okay, I see that you've met with the Anglican Archbishop of Canterbury in London. He said, yes, this is the new thing. I said, I'm not used to Saudi leaders reaching out to Christian leaders, right? He said, yes. He said, no, this is the new Saudi Arabia. We are really trying to change the direction of our country. I said, I'm not aware that the Saud family has reached out to evangelicals in 300 years. And now here we are, the first group, not just that you would meet with, but meet with us in the palace. But let me just say that I am guessing that the term evangelical Christian is not a term that's used much here in the palace or in the Arabian Peninsula, right? So, Todd, what I said to him is, 
we have an ordained pastor as part of our delegation. Could he take a moment and just explain what does it mean to be an evangelical Christian? What does that term mean? And um, he was very open to that. Wow. So imagine an opportunity to yeah. sit with a man who's accused of a lot of heinous crimes and may in fact be guilty of them. It's like sitting with a Caesar. I'm not Paul, and okay, he's not Caesar, but the, the dynamic of a Jewish follower of Jesus sitting with one of the most powerful men in the world and arguably one of the most ruthless and getting to explain what's the biblical definition of evangelical Christian. We asked him his prayer requests. We asked him if we, at the end of the meeting, could we pray for him and his family and his father, the king, because we're commanded to. Mm-hmm. And he said yes to all that. We prayed for him and the family and the country in the name of Jesus. Wow. Look, uh, we got a lot of criticism for that trip, but I believe God is opening doors, and I'm willing to take the criticism as long as I know these are the things the Lord wants me to do, and I don't want to do it just myself. I brought other evangelical leaders to be part of that process, and I'm, I'm encouraged by what we're seeing. We're talking today on Voice of the Martyrs Radio with Joel Rosenberg. He is the author of a brand new book, The Persian Gamble, which is available wherever you buy books Joel, are there one or two or three things about the Middle East that you wish American Christians understood or understood better? Well, sure. Uh, I think the number one would go to the, the, the name of your organization. There are martyrs, that uh, people who have loved Jesus and have, and have given their ultimate price. They've laid down their lives for the unbelievers of their country as well as the believers in their country because they wouldn't renounce the name of Jesus Christ as the only Savior uh, of the world. We think of, uh, in Egypt, the 21 Coptic Christians who, while some of their theology is a little bit different from mine, at the simplest level, they loved Jesus and they were willing to die without renouncing him on the beach of the beaches of uh, Libya, where they were given a choice. Renounce Jesus or we will behead you. And uh, we have seen in recent years, as you know, as your listeners know, the most horrific wave of genocidal violence against uh, followers of Jesus Christ in the Middle East, maybe ever, certainly in, in centuries, particularly the Islamic State in Syria, in Iraq, literally accused of, uh, and rightly so, of a genocide. They were trying to exterminate Christianity as well as the Yazidi population. Horrific. Absolutely horrific. And yet that too, along with the Iranian threat, right? The Iranian threat hasn't started genocide yet. They're doing terrorism and all kinds of nefarious actions, but they haven't yet acquired the weaponry. They they want to build nuclear weaponry and the missiles to deliver them. Then they can commit genocide by millions. That's That's their strategy. The Islamic State said, why are we waiting? We have a sword. We have an AK-47. We can commit genocide now. We don't have to wait for nuclear weapons. Two similar but but tactically different approaches, one Shia, one Sunni. But the point is uh, the church has been under enormous pressure, and we've seen real heroism. Uh, What we need to be doing is praying for, standing with, financially encouraging and supporting, and in every other way, standing with, in a practical way, our brothers and sisters in the Middle East. And for me now as a resident of Israel, a citizen of Israel, a resident of Jerusalem, in fact, 
my heart is for definitely for the Jewish people and Israel, but it's not only because Jesus, uh, but, well, actually we see in the uh, prophet Jeremiah, the father says to the son, the, the coming Messiah, it's too small a thing that you would only save the tribe of Jacob. I will make you a light to the nations and you will bring my salvation to the very ends of the earth. So I love Israel. I want every Jew to hear the gospel. I want every Jew to make a decision to receive Jesus. But I can't stop there because the Bible says God loves uh, those on the other side just as much. And so my passion is to reach all of them and to strengthen the church in the epicenter in the Middle East. And so I think the martyrdom of Christianity uh, of Christians has been a big deal. I would say the other part uh, that American Christians need to know is that there are ways to actually help our brothers and sisters. It's not just prayer, though prayer is huge, but there are very practical ways that we can and should be involved. And obviously, Voice of Martyrs, our own ministry, the Josh Fund, are, are, are among the type of ministries that are doing just that. How important is it for American Christians to understand the difference and understand the theology that's driving, like the Iranian regime, like ISIS, the radical Sunni versus radical Shia? How, how important is it for us, as we're praying and as we're hopefully helping as well, to understand what's driving the opposition. Right. The big picture, let me just say a couple bullet points. Number one, it's important to know that the vast majority of Muslims do not believe in violent radicalism of jihadism. They just don't. You could argue, and some do, that they should theologically, based on the Quran. It's pretty clear at this point that about 90% of uh, the world's Muslims have no uh, violent intention. And you ask the question from a hundred different angles, you still get, they're, they're fairly moderate. They might tell you they wish Israel wasn't there, but if you ask them, would you support suicide bombers and all these different things, they would say, no, I don't want to do that. But, but the polls, uh, the surveys over, over 15 or 20 years now show us that between 7 and 10% of the Islamic world do hold radical, violent, intention. Now, it doesn't mean they'll all sign up to fight for Al-Qaeda right. or, or Iran or ISIS, but it does mean this is the reservoir, this is the pool from which the radicals are recruiting. And when you talk about 1.6 billion people, even 7% well, of 10, those is, 10, a, is a big 10 number. 10% would be 160 million people. If you brought them into one country, the Islamic Republic of Radicalistan, you know, this would be a larger population than Russia. This would be half the size of the United States. So it's true that the vast majority don't share these radical, violent views, but 160 million-ish do. Maybe it's only 100 million. Okay, does that make you feel better or worse? <laughs> but I would add one other thing. The Bible is clear. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. People can't get saved unless they hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, how are they going to hear if nobody tells them? And, it, and how, are somebody, how is someone going to tell them unless they're sent? This is the moment in human history where the radicals are doing... They don't intend it. it it's, it's really right out of Genesis. What they are intending for evil, God is using for good. Many Muslims are asking themselves, well, if Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi the head of ISIS, if that's real Islam, I'm out. If the Ayatollah Khamenei is the real Muslim, I don't want to be a Muslim. Now, in that world, it's hard to leave. 
because the structures are just such that you you don't want to tell anyone you're not a Muslim. But they're moving first to agnosticism, to atheism, but eventually they're beginning to use satellite television, they're using the internet, they're using radio to start searching what is true because I'm not so sure that Islam is it. And this is the moment to be preaching the gospel as well as encouraging believers on the ground. Uh, you can't just have the radio and the television and the internet. You need to have, quote, boots on the ground. Right. People who can disciple new Muslim converts to Christianity. And to me, this is the most exciting season in 14 centuries of, of Christian-Islamic relations. We're not trying to just understand each other. Our side is actually trying to share the gospel and persuade them, come and follow Jesus. We're talking today on Voice of the Martyrs Radio with Joel Rosenberg. He is an author, and he is an expert in what's going on in the Middle East. Joel, as we talk about ISIS and we talk about the mission work of ISIS, showing Muslims a face of Islam that they don't want to be a part of, uh, I'm reminded of a quote, and I heard you speak a couple years ago at NRB, and you said something like this. We as a nation, as the United States, we have an obligation to fight and defeat ISIS— but as Christians, we have an obligation to love them and win them to Christ. I love the quote. I loved it so much I tweeted it out as soon as I heard it. Talk about, though, that balance as American citizens and as American Christians. How do we balance that with, yes, we want our government to defeat them, but also we do have an obligation to love them and win them to Christ? Well, that's the, that's the divide. Uh, government has a role and the church has a role. The Bible is clear. Uh, the Apostle Paul laid it out in Romans 13, for example. The government doesn't wield a sword for nothing. It's to avenge evil. We can certainly get involved in the political sphere to push certain things, pro-life and all, all these other issues, but ultimately we have to be responsible for the job that God uniquely gave us, and that is to preach the gospel and to make disciples of all nations, even the difficult nations, the dangerous nations, the deadly nations. To me, where I, what I see is that more people come to faith in Jesus Christ in the radicalized countries than in the moderate countries. If I look at the countries that I have historically thought, well, I like these, you know, I like Jordan, I love Morocco, I love Turkey. Now, Turkey's turning to the dark side now, but over the last hundred years or so, uh, certainly in the last 50, you'd have to say that those three countries, Jordan, Morocco, Turkey, have, uh, from an American foreign policy side, been the friendliest, warmest, most moderate countries. Great, and, and we want that. But that's the three countries where people are coming to faith in Jesus in the fewest numbers. The countries where you'd say, oh, I don't want to, you know, Iran is a real problem, you know, uh, Sudan, genocide. Uh, but these are the countries where people are leaving Islam and coming to faith in Jesus Christ in the largest numbers, I mean, by the millions. So, you know, we don't want to wish on anybody a, the radicalization of any country. But we have to remember, we, have to, we can look at things through a U.S. foreign policy grid, or lenses, let's say. But we also have to look at things through biblical lenses. And when we do that, we realize the countries where people are suffering the most from, let's say, the purest form of Islam, the way those leaders describe it, these are the countries where people are like, I'm out. And, they're, and they need to hear, they want to hear, they're craving to hear the good news because they live in such bad news. We're talking today on Voice of the Martyrs Radio with Joel Rosenberg. He is the author of a brand new book, The Persian Gamble, 
the Pope was welcomed on the Arabian Peninsula this year. Are things really changing? I think that's the question our listeners would have. Is it really a new day or is this a lot of window dressing and, and PR efforts uh, to try to make it look like a new day? I believe it is a fundamentally new day. Now, obviously, as an evangelical, I have theological disagreements with the Roman Catholic Church, and I have some with the uh, with the Coptic Orthodox Church. Although I've become a friend, uh, I consider him a friend, and I've spent some time uh, now with uh, the Coptic Orthodox Pope uh, Tuadros. So I'm not going to agree with every Coptic Orthodox priest and, and, and uh, so forth. But the point is, when you've got Muslim countries that have, in various ways and at various times in recent decades, been radicalized, uh, have been hostile to Israel, to America, to the church, for sure, I'm not asking them to understand all the theological nuances of Coptic Orthodoxy, uh, Roman Catholicism, or Evangelicalism. This is more than we can ask from them. They're, what they are signaling is we want to be able to operate as countries in the Middle East who may disagree with you politically or theologically, but we can still be friendly, we can still be neighborly. This is a hugely important point. The question is, can you be civil and kind? And in these countries in the Middle East, the answer has been mostly no. So if they invite the Pope for the first time, the Roman Catholic Pope for the first time to Abu Dhabi in the history of the Arabian Peninsula, I think that's a good thing. I get a lot of blowback from people who are telling me, oh, you're, you know, I've, I've given up the ghost on my theology and I've gone soft. People have to separate out the difference between a Muslim country saying, we will welcome people of different Christian denominations. That's a big step forward because what they're saying is we can, people can talk about differences without us killing you. This is progress, people. We always end up with how can people pray? So I want to ask you in, in two directions, really, the Middle East as a whole, but first, the nation of Israel. The Bible talks about praying for the peace of Jerusalem. How can our listeners pray for the nation of Israel and for that country and, and for the people there? Ultimately, and most importantly, we need to pray that God would bring an understanding of who the Prince of Peace really is, that Jesus is our peace, peace with God, peace in our hearts, peace with each other. That's what Israel needs, both Jews and Muslims. And part of my heart is to make sure that every single Jew and every single Gentile in the land of Israel hears the gospel of Jesus the Messiah and can make a decision for Jesus or against him. But they need to hear, because how can they believe if they haven't heard? Romans chapter 10. But I also want to say, is, as people pray for that, and I hope they would, that they would pray for our Palestinian neighbors. Uh, the Palestinian church, first of all, which we work very closely with to strengthen, there are only 1,500 or so Palestinian evangelicals in the West Bank and Gaza combined right now. There are about 30,000 worldwide, but most of them have fled because it's so hard to live there. But I would also pray for the all the leaders, the good ones and the evil ones, you know, Bashar al-Assad, the uh, genocidal dictator of Syria. I want them to know Jesus, Vladimir Putin, the Ayatollah Khamenei, but also the people I'm beginning to get to know, King Abdullah, President el-Sisi, Mohammed bin Zayed, Mohammed bin Salman. These are men who are now building friendships with people like myself who love Jesus. I want them to, to actually 
consider the real claims of Christ, that they may realize that God loves them and wants to save them and have them in eternity with us forever and ever and ever. And we want you to be equipped to pray. And Joel, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for being our guest this week on Voice of Martyrs Radio. And we encourage people again, go out and buy a copy of The Persian Gamble, the new book from Joel. Thanks for being with us this week on Voice of the Martyrs Radio. Great to be with you, Todd. Thank you so much and to all your listeners who are praying. I want to encourage you this week to pray for the Middle East, pray for the leaders. Uh, As you've heard from Joel, some of them have now heard the gospel. Uh, So pray that it will take root and that they will be drawn to think about it. I also want to encourage you to be back with us next week here on Voice of the Martyrs Radio. We're going to talk about the mystery of a missing pastor in Malaysia. He was abducted off the streets more than two years ago. Neither he nor his car have been seen since. And we're going to meet his wife and hear about his abduction, but more importantly, hear how God has sustained her and their family through the last two years of waiting and wondering what's happened to Pastor Raymond Coe. That's next week right here on the Voice of the Martyrs Radio Network.